What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, the one and only Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, I'm home. What's going on, man? So I want to ask you a question. You home, you're with the family, but what is the one meal you look forward to when you get back after a long road trip? That's a good question. I really, really like ground sirloin. My wife makes ground sirloin, which is basically like hamburger with gravy and mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) Anytime you can get a home-cooked meal after so long on the road, it's great. But that's usually the one that I ask for if I do make a request. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. All right, (laughs) enough about us. Let's get into the Cavs. They ended the road trip, split two wins and two losses over a four-game stretch, and they are back at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse tomorrow to face the Pistons. It's the second in-season tournament game for the Cavs and the first at home. We talked to our subtext channel about what they think about the in-season tournament so far, and here are some of the responses we got. Matt from Los Angeles said he doesn't like how every team isn't playing a tourney game the same night and never feels like a true tourney night with air quotes. Martin from Cleveland said he loves the in-season tournament. It gives certain early season games more meaning. It's more competition. Brian from San Diego said he wishes the winner should get something more regarding the playoffs, like either a guaranteed six spot or some type of multiplier for the standings, like a plus three or a plus five multiplier on their record just for playoff purposes. P from Columbus said he finds it weird that so many players are taking it as a badge of honor to say that they don't care about the tournament when other leagues like Premier League compete for the Premier League title in the regular season and the Big Ten basketball team compete for and celebrate the Big Ten Championship, which is different from the National Championship game, and it's also based on the regular season. Overall, it seems like the fans are into it, but they want to be more of an incentive for the teams down the road, like playoff spots or something along those lines, for them to truly get into the games in the in-season tournament. And I agree with them, because without the incentive of getting into the playoffs in pursuit of the Larry O'Brien Trophy, Money is something that most players in the league aren't too worried about. The only player who I've seen avidly endorse this in-season tournament is probably the cheapest man in the league and also one of the richest players in the league, LeBron James. And we know that he want to make his money any way possible, and 500000 is a good pocket change for him. What do you think about the in-season tournament, Chris? Well, I think it depends what team we're talking about in terms of motivation. I think that's just the way that the regular season is in general, Ethan, when it comes to the NBA. Like there are certain teams that are going to put more stock into what happens in the regular season, and they're going to celebrate small successes in the regular season. And then there are other teams that are going to focus mostly, if not solely, on what happens in the playoffs and what happens with their ability to win a championship. So I look at the in-season tournament kind of the same way, right? If you're a team like Milwaukee and you were put together in a championship or bust situation, or you're a team like Boston and you were put together in a championship or bust situation, then that's the only thing that is going to define success for you, then you're probably not going to put that much stock into the in-season tournament. You're probably not going to care that much about what happens when it comes to the in-season tournament. But I think there are other teams that are going to be more motivated by it. I think there are other teams that are going to care about what happens with it. And I think anything that the NBA can do, Ethan, 
to give the regular season a little bit more meaning somehow, some way, I think that's a positive thing. I'm not saying that that every team looks at the in-season tournament and says, like, this matters to us, right? Because I just know that that's not the way that it goes. But But some teams do care about it, and some teams will celebrate it, and some teams will take it more seriously. And if you can bring more juice to a schedule in November and December, then I think that's something that can be beneficial for the NBA. Do you think that they need to include a playoff contention or a playoff spot with the championship for the team that wins it? Or do you think that team should just be invested because there's a trophy and some extra money on the line? I've actually said from the beginning, I I thought the winner of the NBA Cup should get an automatic playoff spot. If the goal is to incentivize them to care about this in-season tournament as much as possible, the greatest incentive to any team would be an automatic playoff berth. If not taking a step further, and this is never going to happen, and I fully understand that, and it's just kind of throwing it out there. If you could tell the winning team you could pick your first-round matchup in the playoffs, like that would get really, really spicy, right? I think that more than money is going to motivate some of these teams in a different kind of way. So if you could incentivize them with something that has more meaning to them than just money, I'm all for listening to that idea. The last thing I want to say on this topic of the in-season tournament is we all know that the first games that were played on those courts, those courts were horrific. They were atrocious. Ugly doesn't even begin to describe what those courts look like. And this is a case where I feel like bullying might have worked a little bit because the NBA went and changed how the courts look. There is no more of the entire court being the same color and it being a vibrant whatever. I am excited to see what the Cavaliers put together after people changed it up a little bit. What do you think, Chris? Here's the thing that I'll say about the court. I think if you turn on the TV and you see two teams playing on that court, you immediately know that it's an in-season tournament game. And you might stay with that game a little bit longer because the stakes are different. So I was at a restaurant during the road trip with somebody from the Cavs. And in the background of that restaurant was the Phoenix Suns and Los Angeles Lakers. And I had no clue that those two teams were playing an in-season tournament game that night. I had no idea. But that was on in the background. I took one look at the TV and I said, oh, that's an in-season tournament game. So I like the idea, Ethan, of distinguishing those games some kind of way. And if that means like something that can be an eyesore like a court... It was the only way that I was going to know that that was an in-season tournament game. And it caught my attention. And if that's what they wanted to do, they succeeded from that standpoint. Even if that court was as ugly as any court that I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, hats off to Adam Silver because I know that what they wanted was to draw attention. And to my and Chris's standard, they definitely did that. Might have not been the best way to, but he did it. And that we know Adam Silver is all about bringing attention to the league, especially during a time where the NFL and college football is being watched more. I mean, here's the other thing that I would say, Ethan. Like, if they didn't do the courts in a different way, 
how would any casual NBA observer know that it was an in-season tournament game? Yeah, no, you're right. I agree. Right, because, I mean, you can't look at the jerseys because the city edition jerseys or whatever are going to be worn not only for in-tournament games. I mean, they're going to be worn other times throughout the course of the year. I think any change to the home court, which I think they're still going to do, would be enough for a casual fan to be like, huh, that doesn't look like how it usually would. Even if a fan would be watching and they've only watched a couple of home games before or watched an opposing team play at a certain place, if you see a drastic difference in the court look, you're going to be able to, even if it's not highlight or blue, you'll be able to notice a slight difference. At least that's what my understanding is. But I completely understand that having the court being an entire color or whatever it brings attention to the fact that it's an in-season tournament game and that's a good point you make and don't get me wrong some of them are just hideous <laughs> right the one that the Cavs played against the indiana pacers in indiana i still think that i'm seeing blinding spots in my eyes because of that like that was a gigantic blue eyesore and some of these other ones are just wretched looking but I understand trying to make them different. And I'm okay with different. I don't always push back on different the way that some people do. Right. And maybe later in the season, we'll take a closer look at what these courts look like. And maybe we'll rank them. Maybe you guys can let us know on <laughs> subtext. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Max Drews' impact on the Cavs. And if J.B. Bickerstaff should let him play all game long. Before that, remember to subscribe to subtext. Maybe let us know which court you hate the most. The first 14 days are free. We will have the insider information for you throughout the season with more insight than you'll get on the regular social media platforms. And with that, we'll be right back. And we are back. Chris, I want to bring up something you tweeted during the Blazers game on Wednesday. You said that you think Max Struess should just play all 48 minutes. That's a heavy load to place on any player. So why has he been so important to the Cavs lineup? And if not 48 minutes, how many should he realistically play? Everybody understands I was being facetious. Right? Yeah. <laughs> People aren't going to take that and aggregate it saying, oh, Chris Fedor covers the Cavs and he thinks Max Struess should play all 48 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. No player can do that and be as effective as they would want to be playing that kind of workload. Not even LeBron James, not even Giannis. But the point is, the Cavs are a completely different team when Max Struess is on the court versus when he's off the court. At both ends of the floor, there's just a different effect that he brings to the offense, Ethan. There's an impact that he brings to the game that sometimes goes beyond the box score. Now, He's playing really, really well, so we can start there. Career highs in points, in steals, in blocks, in assists, in rebounds. He's showing more of an all-around game than I think people felt like he had. There were people that were wondering how he was going to function outside of the Miami Heat culture, outside of the Miami Heat system, without those players, without Eric Spolstra as his coach. He's been great for the Cavs. The only thing he hasn't been able to do is shoot at the level that he believes he's capable of, shoot at the level that he has shown throughout the course of his career. But I've always looked at Max and said his impact on this team is always going to go beyond what his shooting percentages are. Because stylistically, he's the kind of guy that fits alongside this core four in the starting lineup. And stylistically, he's the kind of guy that is a threat no matter what he's doing on the court. 
teams cannot guard the Cavs the same way that they guarded them last year because they're more worried about Max Struess than they were about Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, Lamar Stevens, Jetty Osman, Dean Wade, anybody that played the small forward spot. So Max just being out there and being a threat and being somebody that the defense has to account for on every single possession, it's making it easier for Evan Mobley. It's making it easier for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And that gravity that he brings to the table, I don't know how you measure that necessarily, but it shows up to me when he's off the court because the Cavs don't have that same gravity. They don't have that same spacing. They don't have that same shooting threat. Like they completely crumble as an offense when they lose that shooting weapon that Max Strews is. So if that means that he has to play like 35 to 40 minutes when they get into a first round playoff series against the Knicks, against the Nets, against the Hawks, whoever it is that they match up with in the first round, I think that would be just fine because they are a different team in terms of how they function and in terms of how they look when he's off the court. And you mentioned him having a career year. And I want to mention he's averaging around 35 minutes a game so far into the season. And that's the most he's played per game ever in his career by nearly seven minutes. The only amount I can see him playing on a nightly basis higher than 35 minutes and not being burnt out is 40 minutes. He played 37 against the Blazers. So we know he can play more. But if the Cavs get into a rhythm with him at 35 minutes, then I think you got to keep him there just with the mindset of preserving him for later into the season and also hoping to avoid injury, which we know that the Cavs are already struggling with early in the season. I think there are a couple of things, Ethan. I think, number one, you're absolutely right when it comes to the regular season. The Cavs, I'm not saying that they shouldn't care about the regular season. I'm not saying that because the regular season is about finding out answers what you can be, what you can't be, what things work, what things don't work. And it's about experimentation and it's about developing habits. And those habits are built in the regular season so that you can lean on them when you get to the playoffs. But I don't think the Cavs are in a situation, Ethan, where they have to go out chasing wins in the regular season. The way that they did in the past, like in the past, They needed to bank as many wins as possible because they weren't a guaranteed playoff team, right? Like they were trying at all costs to avoid the play-in tournament. I just think there's enough talent on this team. There's enough camaraderie on this team. There's enough compete on this team that they don't have to chase wins in November and December. They can treat the regular season for what it's supposed to be. The other thing that I'll say is that Like some of these numbers that you're referencing with Max right now, Isaac Okoro hasn't been out there. When Isaac's healthy and when he can return from this knee soreness, the Cavs lineups and their rotations are going to look a little bit different. The bench is going to feel stronger and deeper. And obviously, he's not the kind of player that Max Struess is on the offensive end. We understand that. We've talked about that. But Isaac can give you quality minutes from a backup spot that the Cavs aren't getting right now. And I think that can help take some of the pressure and some of the workload from Max Struess. And speaking of the bench, I got the last topic for you today. The Cavs started Dean Wade against the Blazers with Darius Garland out with a neck strain. Garland is questionable again against the Pistons. 
My question is, would you start Dean Wade again or start Karis LeVert? I'd have to go with starting Karis because of how well he's played this season. And Dean Wade didn't score in 33 minutes against the Blazers and only had three rebounds, two assists, and a block. Thankfully, he avoided foul trouble and was able to help contribute on the defensive end. But I know you talked to Karis about him stepping into this bench role and aiming for sixth man of the year. So what do you think? And why might he want to continue to be that spark off the bench, even with Garland out? Why would you want to start Karras? I'm curious. What benefit do you think the Cavs get starting Karras? I think Karras has been a better offensive presence for the Cavs. And I don't know, other than being a big body and being able to guard three to five, Dean Wade doesn't really bring anything in my eyes, to the Cavs after seeing the performance against the Blazers. Right, so the thing that I would say is part of the reason I think that JB goes this way and part of the reason why I think Karras has gotten off to such a great start in talking to him and people around the organization is that he's comfortable in the role that he is in. Last year was very, very tough on Karras Because some nights he was playing point guard, other nights he was playing shooting guard, other nights he was playing the three. Some nights he was starting, other nights he was coming off the bench. And his role continued to fluctuate. And I think that's hard on any player. You don't know where your shots are coming from. You don't know when you're going to enter the game. You don't know who you're going to be playing alongside. And I think the Cavs came into the season, Ethan, saying, at all costs, if we can control it, Let's try and make Karras as comfortable as possible. Let's try and keep him in a consistent role where it's not changing on a nightly basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And that's part of the reason why they go with Dean Wade in the starting lineup. The other reason is the Cavs starting group, even without Darius, like it doesn't need somebody like Karras to me. It needs somebody more like Dean Wade. And let me explain this, because I understand that he didn't contribute much in the box score. He's somebody who's going to space the floor. You don't need possessions called for him. You don't need to call plays for him. You don't need to put the ball in his hands. He's just going to do like a lot of little connective things. And I think that's helpful for the offense, because that gives more freedom to Donovan Mitchell. Right, It gives more freedom to Evan Mobley. It gives more freedom to Max Struess as well. I just don't love the idea of if Darius Garland's out, let's replace him with another ball-dominant player. Because I think there are stylistic conflicts on the court between Darius and Donovan at times. And Karras is somebody who is most effective with the ball in his hands. Donovan Mitchell is still somebody who's most effective with the ball in his hands. So getting somebody like Dean Wade to replace Darius Garland, it's a different type of player. And I think every now and then that provides a different look for the offense, for the Cavs, and it allows them to operate a different kind of way on the offensive end. Now, I'll say this, Donovan Mitchell is also questionable for the game against Detroit. If Darius and Donovan are both out, then I think the Cavs need Karras' playmaking, his shot creation in that starting group, right? Then they need the things that he brings to the table a little bit more to replace Darius and Donovan. But if Darius is out, Donovan can do many of the things that Karras 
would theoretically do. And he can do many of the things that Darius can theoretically do. So I like the idea personally of a different stylistic player in that starting group when Darius is out. And Dean Wade is a legitimate quality defender, underrated defender too. He's a bit of a foul magnet, and you mentioned that. But he can guard multiple positions. He gets up on guys. He did a great job defensively against Portland. And I know it's Portland, and they don't have a bunch of NBA players on that roster. But I like the tenacity that he brings on the defensive end of the floor too. And I think what I had been thinking when it comes to a starting lineup is when you have a point guard like Darius Garland, who was ball dominant, you switch him with Karras, who is also decently ball dominant. But I like your idea of switching it around to allow Donovan Mitchell the space and the freedom to play his game. Because we know once he puts his head down, he's going to be on a mission to go get a bucket. And the same way with him on the perimeter is like if he sees a shot he likes, he's going to take it. And I think you're absolutely right that with Karras on the court, it would minimize both of their shot opportunities. It would decrease the efficiency of both of them. So I think you're right. But I also agree that if both Darius and Donovan are out, then the entire starting lineup has to look different other than Max Struess, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, obviously. I also don't want to mess with Karras right now. He's too hot right now. I mean, he's playing like the sixth man of the year candidate. The Cavs believe that that he's playing at the best level that he's he's played at since coming to the Cavs, since coming over from that trade from Indiana. And I just don't think you want to start messing with that unless you absolutely have to, right? Sometimes situations are going to call for it. Sometimes circumstances are going to call for it. But if you can control it, and I think they have a quality enough option in Dean Wade that they can control it, I don't want to mess with anything that, that Karras has going, the rhythm, his flow, when he's coming in the game. And here's the other thing, Ethan. If Dean Wade's out there and he's not playing well in that starting lineup or that starting lineup's not getting the job done, like JB can just call for Karras at the eight-minute mark or the nine-minute mark. There's, there's no rule against that. And I think JB is smart enough to understand, hey, if Dean Wade's not giving this starting group what we need from him and this isn't working, then I can just go to Karras. But but I just don't think you have to do that from the start of the game. And my final question for you tonight is, you talked to Karras about how he has jumped into this six-man role and envisioned coming into this role during the offseason, and he had the six-man of the year award in mind. Can you talk to me about what he said to you to tell you about his journey to where he is now? Yeah, I mean, the way that he phrased it is... I want to be the best player in whatever role that I'm put in for this team. And I'm here to do what's best for this team, not what's best for Karis LeVert. But he also understands that team success oftentimes leads to individual accolades. And if he's going to continue to come off the bench for this team, and that's what he thinks is best, and that's what the Cavs think is best, then he wants to win that award. And I think there's a level of comfort that Karras is showing with this team that he really hasn't had since the time he got here from Indiana. If you remember, like when he came from Indiana, everybody was calling him the missing piece. He was trying to find his way midway through the season. He was dealing with an injury. It was a lot on him. And I just don't think he was ever entirely comfortable those first few months. And then last year, we talked about it. 
the role changed, the shot attempts changed, the minutes changed. All of that stuff was was so different for him that part of the reason why the Cavs really, really like him is that he does have that versatility. And they kept calling him the chameleon who could adapt to any situation, who could adapt to any role. But sometimes these guys need to be put in a consistent role where they're asked to do the same kinds of things on a nightly basis. And I think that the comfort that Karras has coming off the bench and the acceptance that he has in that particular role, I think has really, really freed him up, both mentally and from an in-game standpoint. He knows what's expected of him. He knows what his role is. He knows that at times, if he needs to be put in the starting lineup, that's going to happen. Just because he's coming off the bench in this six-man role doesn't mean that he looks at himself as a bench player. He looks at himself as a starting caliber player that's coming off the bench for the betterment of the team. And I think that's given him a lot of peace of mind and a lot of freedom. So the Cavs are looking for some consistency as a whole unit. And Karis LeVert is finally starting to get the consistency that he needs to succeed off the bench and with that that wraps up this episode of the wine and gold talk podcast thank you for chris for joining me again remember to subscribe to subtext the first 14 days are free and we will have all the insider information for you throughout the season with more insight than you'll get on the regular social media platforms with that being said until next time y'all be safe we out